Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and today I have a very special guest, uh, police officer and writer of the upcoming book Cops and Writers, uh, author Patrick O'Donnell. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Well, thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to this episode. Um, and unfortunately, we were originally going to do this last week, and I had a, a scheduling conflict. I had to take my daughter to the pediatrician to get shots. So unfortunately, uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, if you didn't get an episode last week, uh, that was all on me. That was that was my fault, not Patrick's. But uh, um, I'm really excited to have this episode uh, going today. Um, Patrick, you have got a book in the works. It's, it's coming soon. Cops and Writers, you're bridging the gap between our law enforcement and, and authors. Can you tell people a little bit about uh, this book and what inspired you to write it? Sure. Uh, but first, I just want to briefly touch over, you know, I do not officially represent any specific police or law enforcement agency. Mm-hmm. Do not intend for any of this conversation to be legal advice. Mm. And if you need a lawyer, just go get one. Okay? <laughs> that was a good, good disclaimer to start out with, yeah. Yeah, you know, people's like, I, I wonder if I need one. If you're wondering, you probably need one. <laughs> That's usually the way it works. Something but as it. far as why I wrote the book is I've written, let's see, I published four books in fiction and nonfiction that had nothing to do with law enforcement whatsoever. And I belong to the 20 books to 50K group. Mm-hmm. And just one day I just threw a picture of me with a furry hat on and smoking a big cigar, you know, in my uniform. And I'm like, Hey, anybody has police questions, I'm here to help yeah. because I see a lot of discrepancies and misinformation out there. And I'm like, Hey, let me clear it up for you. And the overwhelming, the response was overwhelming. It was crazy. And then, you know, I've had people off to the side, you should really write a book to help writers out with this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I think I will. So that's yeah. where we are. Yeah, that's fantastic because it is one of those situations where writers will have to research. If you haven't already had to research this in your career, you probably will have to. Uh, if you're going to write in any genre that involves uh, any kind of law enforcement, it doesn't matter if you're writing in the hist- in the history, you know, historical fiction, or you're writing in the future, like I do oftentimes. There's still probably going to be police. There are some common common things that. Um, humanity deals with and anytime you get enough people together you're probably going to need somebody to regulate um can you speak to that a little bit about sort of what are some of the so obviously you're not talking about any particular uh, police department in this uh you have to obviously make it somewhat general enough for everyone to to use but what are some of the commonalities that you started with when you started structuring this this book and then saying what authors really need to know Okay, in this book, you know, the subtitle is From the Academy to the Street. And it literally is that, where people are wondering, how do you become a cop? Why do you mm-hmm. want to be a cop? You know, what do you have to go through? What are the requirements? And one of the appendixes, I have the, the uh, job title and prerequisites for the city of New York, the city of Chicago, Miami-Dade, oh, and I have a couple of other, uh, California Highway Patrol. Mm, you know, right. okay, you know, what are the educational requirements? What, you know, and there are some differences, but the majority are going to have, they're going to want some kind of higher education, at least 60 college credits. Some, some want a four-year degree before you can, can even apply. It depends on the department. Okay. And then there's going to be, and a very common thing is you take a written test, 
if you pass that, then you're going to get uh, an, inv- an invitation to take the physical test, which would be a PT test. And that's running and jumping and, you know, some uh, departments have little obstacle courses that yeah. are geared towards, timed. yeah, everything is timed. It's a little different from when I started. You know, I took the PT test. Oh, God. It was, I've been on for 24 and a half years, and I waited for four years on a waiting list before oh, wow. I got on. So, and ours was one of the tougher ones. You know, you had to hold a chin up for 45 seconds. Your okay. chin couldn't go below after that, you had to do a dummy drag of a 175-pound dummy, you know, back and forth. If you slipped or fell or turned a shoulder, you're out. You're done. Mm. Then a six-foot wall, you got to jump over a six-foot wall in, like, five seconds or something like that. And I got mm. stuck on top. Oh, no. <laughs> the doctor was just screaming at me. I'm like, ah! So <laughs> I just threw myself over. I'm like, well, if I break something, I break something. I got I to pass. Is the there ongoing training like this too? Do you have to do PT tests uh, periodically throughout your career, or is this pretty much only no. in the academy? No, yeah, we live in a very litigious environment, mm-hmm. and you know, some people are saying, "Well, you know, hey, I'm yeah, I'm 54 years old. I'm not going to have the same PT score as a 21 year old kid." Mm, right. uh, so there, that's always ongoing. Some departments will encourage it, and they should. And mm-hmm. my, I mean. Working out is probably one of the best things you can do for stress, which police work has oodles and oodles stress, of. Yeah. You know, it's and it's it's it'll help you on your job. But um, some departments, like I said, will try to encourage it or maybe give you some time to do it. But that's one thing that's lacking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. it is what it is. Um, but we do have to qualify what, like, say, our firearms right. every year. Every year you have to, yeah, you got to go down to the range and you have to hit a certain score in order to be a cop. Yeah. So that's a little Because missing your target can have very serious consequences. (laughs) Yeah. We are responsible for every (laughs) round that leaves that gun. Yeah. And I think that's, um, sometimes we watch the Hollywood movies where police officers are just spraying bullets all over the place and uh it's one of those things that usually rings a little false um so what what are some of the other things that you think commonly show up in fiction that writers could improve on when it comes to writing more realistic uh police you know scenes well while we were just talking about officer involved shootings Mm -hmm. you know you see on tv or reading books a cop shoots and kills somebody and later on that afternoon, they're back on the street, you know, drinking coffee and eating donuts. Right. That is not the way it goes. Yeah. It's a horrific, horrible event that no cop, no cop wants to be involved in. But sometimes, you know, you have to. There's no other choice. Mm. You're forced into it. And what happens is you're investigated. Um, I've been the incident commander for six of those events. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I'm very intimately aware of what happens and what it does to a cop's head. You know, a cop won't be back out on the street for a good six months to a year sometimes wow, before yeah. they can be back to full duty. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're still cops, they're still police officers. Right. But, you know, unless, I mean, unless the facts of the incident point to, well, you know what? It was completely egregious. You know, you were way out of bounds, and you might get arrested. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, then you're going to be suspended. But 99.9% of the time, that does not happen. And like I said, there's different investigations that have to occur. There's external, which would be usually a different department will investigate that, will investigate the shooting. And that can take, like I said, six months to a year. The <clears> district <throat> attorney has to review it. Then when all that is done, then there's an internal investigation. Were you following all the rules, rules and procedures, SOPs, you know, da, da, da. And that really messes with a cop's head. You know, they start second guessing themselves and beating themselves up. It's a very, very tough time. Yeah. Can I ask you from a writer's perspective, obviously, um, (coughs) if you're writing a hero who is a police officer Mm -hmm. and he has to shoot someone in, in the course of the story, uh, what are some ways around, like, what would the, uh, the hero to take will be doing during those six months? Would it be able to continue on them with this? Like, for from the writer's perspective, obviously that presents a big problem. Where we right. say, okay, well, all of a sudden my hero got involved in this action sequence. And now I can't just have him off for six months while this story goes nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of doesn't right. work from a Hollywood storytelling point of view. And from a, so what are some ways that we could maybe more realistically transition our hero back into our story after something like this would occur well you're into time travel so that might help a little bit (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah i guess you're just going to have to fast forward yeah that's one of those things you're just going to have to like glide over or you know i think one thing one of the few things that writers get wrong when it comes to writing anything dealing with law enforcement is they, the main character is always a detective. Well, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say always, but usually a detective. Mm-hmm. He's very, he or she is very stoic, you know, almost no sense of humor, you know, almost no emotions. You know, that's a common misconception. You know, so if you wanted to, you know, you could do all kinds of things with your main character. You know, he or she develops a drinking problem. He's having a horrible time with his wife at home. You know, he's, he's stressing out. He's gaining weight. He's drinking too much. I mean... You can go down all kinds of rabbit holes. Well, they're crazy, like Lethal Weapon, you know, Mel Gibson's yeah. character, you know, he's just like <laughs> wild child. Yes, I mean, you could go in a bunch of different directions with the character, I think, mm-hmm. and then how other cops are going to treat you. You know, it's like, hey, I think he's looking at me weird. He thinks I did something wrong. You know, we used to be friends, but you never asked me to go out anymore. You know, we don't go out for a drink after work. You know, I'm not in the bowling league anymore. You know, mm. I'm shunned by my coworkers. You know. It, that kind of stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of different directions you can go with it. Mm-hmm. But, it, and again, where most of the liability is in a police department, who does most of the work are police officers. It's not detectives. I mean, so yes, there are some detectives that work special, um, like say they work vice, they're working undercover, where you know crazy stuff does happen. But the majority of detectives are wearing suits and ties. Yeah, and yeah. they're investigating something that just happened or happened a while ago. And it's not very glamorous, and it's a ton of hard work. It, but, you know, again, Hollywood, they, 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 they screw it up all the time. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about some other common scenes that often occur with you know, police writing. Um, one is turning in your badge and gun. Um, <laughs> How do the, how do you view those scenes from the perspective of like an actual police officer? You know, something happens and they're like, "Nope, badges and guns on the table." And you're like, "Does that happen in real life?" Not really. Um, <laughs> most people don't quit because, I mean, after 25 years, well, depending on the department, it could be anywhere from 20 to 30 years. 
you have a pension for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You don't want to screw that up. We have a very high retention rate. Pretty much the only time somebody is going to be leaving the police department is if they got a job in another police department. Some departments do lateral transfers. Okay. So say, you know, you're sick of the cold weather, you want to go somewhere warm, you know, or you're just sick of that department and you mm -hmm. want to change. You know, yeah. you can do that. Um, very few people just up and quit. Some what about if you're suspended? Like, if you're, is that seem that, more accurate if you're suspended? Or is if that you're worse? suspended, unfortunately, I'm a sergeant. Yeah. So as part of being a sergeant is you have to, A, it's sergeants and detectives that work in internal affairs depending on the investigation. Mm. And if there isn't that many of them, so we get called to augment them. So say a member is getting suspended, and I've had to do it. You know, I don't have the power to suspend, so you go with an inspector or a captain who's an acting inspector. It's like, I'm sorry, Nathan, but uh, we have to suspend your police powers because of X, Y, or Z. We take everything. We take their badge, their cap shield, their gun, um, pretty much all their equipment mm, okay. and their ID card. So it's not usually them coming to us, throwing them down on the desk, you know, saying, yeah. I'm done with all this, you know, yeah. blah, blah. Usually that does not occur. Yeah. There's uh, often a contentious relationship between internal affairs and other uh, police officers in movies. Is that How realistic is that? You know, it's, it's a necessary thing. Police departments need internal affairs, you know, and you want good people mm -hmm. in internal affairs. But, yeah, it's very daunting when you get called up there. You know, like where I work, it's a different building. It's on the third floor, so the dispatcher will come over there, and you don't know it's coming. Okay. And it's like, you know, squad, you know, 2115, respond to room 301. You're like, Ugh. Yeah. All right. So you take the long drive up there, and it could be something really simple, or it could be something not so simple. Okay. And you're driving up there, and it's like, man, I don't think I did anything wrong lately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's one of the – and again, for writers writing stories – it's not the stuff on the street that stresses us out that much. It's mm. the internal stuff that really will burn at your gut. Yeah. It's like that looming little cloud of like, did oh. I do anything or did I not? Yeah. I, I feel like that would be nerve wracking. Yes, very. And then um, you also, I know you mentioned in, in the book too, you talk about how police force is changing. Obviously we've got body cameras now. We've got um, sort of, there's a whole other different, relationship between like the tensions between police and the public sometimes but it's also somewhat unrealistic um the way it's portrayed so um what are some ways we could be more realistic with like how we portray the the relationship between police officers and you know regular citizens well as far as like the body cameras you know when i started there was no body cameras there was no squad cameras and slowly but surely you know squad cameras started popping up and then probably within the last four years, five years, our department went to body cameras. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first, cops, cops don't like change, any kind of change. Mm. We're, we're like, no, 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 we don't like that. Yeah, automatically, that's the default. Yeah. It's, just, it's just our nature. And as far as the body cameras go, yeah, they saw it and we saw it as an invasion of our privacy. Mm. And... You know, you get nervous. These cops, we don't want nervous cops. We don't want them second-guessing what they're doing. 
because that just leads to dangerous situations. But what happened was, you know, body cameras came into play as like to catch all these cops doing all these terrible things, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, the exact opposite has occurred, and some cops actually don't mind them so much. Mm-hmm. Some still hate them. But I tell you what, when you're arresting the drunk at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's MFing you and this and that, and yeah. he's spitting and going bananas, and it's all on tape, then you're in court, and it's like, oh, let's take a look at this. Yeah. And it's like, ugh. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's me? And I'm like, yep, that's you. Yeah. You know, then all of a sudden, it's like, ugh, yeah, these body cameras aren't so great anymore. We don't <laughs> like them, you know? Or Cuts both ways, for sure. Y- yes. And then as a sergeant... I uh, have to investigate complaints against cops. Mm-hmm. Somebody will come to the counter and say, hey, you know what? Officer Nathan here called me X, Y, and Z. Oh, okay. Stand by. I mean, Are you al- sure? Those alphabet curses just fly out of my mouth. Like oh, time. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, all right. So I'm like, okay, time out. So I'll go back and I'll review the body camera. And 99.9% of the time, it never happened. They're mm. mad because they got a ticket or their mm. kid got arrested or whatever. Mm. Kind of a tit for tat. And it's like, all right, well, he hurt me, so now I'm going to hurt him. Yeah. Oh, so, right. So then I'll go back and I'm like, well, are you sure that's how it happened? And I was like, well, yeah. And I said, well, I just got done looking at the body camera. Oh. Well, he was mean. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> yeah. What um? What is your relationship as... Let's say I had an interesting situation where I got um, ripped off recently. I had someone steal my um, debit card and uh, go on a spending spree with it. Uh, and uh, but I knew all the places where they were because they went. I got the bank transactions and I got the times and I said, mm-hmm. "All right, well, these are all the places." I couldn't personally request the camera footage, but I called up and I talked to a detective because the fraud department mm-hmm. at my credit card was going to give me my money back, but they weren't going to go after this person. They were just going right. to like let them get away with all this money. Yeah. And then um, I said, no. I'm like, that's that's not how this should go. You know, I want some justice. So I, <laughs> I called the police department and I said, you know, hey, can I get some justice here? And uh, I went around and I actually itemized the times. I got I made it as easy as I could for the detective. I'm like, hey, I gave him all this stuff online. And I'm like, here you right. go. And then a few days later, sure enough, they found the culprit. And it actually, oh, excellent. Yeah. And uh, I was really happy because they got caught. And there was actually some yeah. justice for once. Um, Very good. But I thought it was interesting that, you know, that the powers, because I had gone to some of these different places where these people were, you know, the cameras were. I'm like, is it possible to, like, see the footage? And they're like, nope, only police officers get to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was probably good. Um, but it was also frustrating as my, me being my own little private investigator trying to right. Out, right, solve this crime. But it's difficult to solve a crime. Um, it's not easy when you're not a police officer. Um, but I, obviously, do you cover... Um, you, you mentioned that this this is more just Academy of the Street, but you also have an upcoming book that's going to talk about investigation. Is that correct? Yeah, that's going to be... I, tentatively, it's, this, it's the same, you know, cops and writers, but <laughs> tentatively it's going to be... The subtitle will be... Uh, Crime scenes and investigations. Mm, okay. So you know, who scene? You know, all the different players and what their roles are. Yeah. You know, and and you know, spoiler alert: it's a lot of police work is boring yeah. <laughs> and tedious. You know, you don't see. You know, and I guess it wouldn't be a very good scene watching some detective looking at reports for eight hours. You right. know, until his eyes are burning on a screen. You know, <laughs> it, it's. But, you know, I will also go into, like, interrogation and interviewing people. Mm-hmm. You know, 
But what's going on, when I first started as a cop, everybody starts out as a police officer or a sheriff's deputy, depending what agency you're with. You know, you did pretty basic stuff. You you ran around all night and answered call for service. Now, the police officers that are out there are doing more or less detective work on top of all that. Mm. They're getting search warrants. They're doing... I mean, we used to question prisoners. You know, I'd arrest somebody. Like, one of the most common things was stolen cars. Okay. You know, almost every night, you could get somebody in a stolen car. I worked in probably one of the worst neighborhoods in the city. I worked at midnight to 8 for 13 years. Mm, and yeah. I worked 7 at night till 3 in the morning for 4 more. And now I'm day shift. So I saw lots and lots of action, lots and lots of shootings, lots and lots of, you know, fill in the blank. But it was fun. I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was great. And it's a great education. And it oh, gives you sure. gives you a lot of great experience. But, I mean, you're always going to have homicide detectives investigating homicides. But everything else, police officers are doing a lot of that work now that we never did 20 years ago. Mm. They're, they're, they're expecting a lot more out of a cop than they ever have before. I'm sure, yeah. Well, you mentioned in, in the book, too, that it's a lot about uh, budget, where it's like we're trying to do more with less. Everyone's trying to cut corners, you know, money-wise these days and really make all of their assets work more. But um, I thought I found it interesting you were talking about how that can be very difficult. If you bang up your car in a car chase, you know I mean? There's, you know, there's a lot of money out the door. Now you got to get another car. There's you're going to affect your budget. Um, yep. There are limited resources that we deal with, obviously, and I think that's correct. Um, can't all be the Blues Brothers where they went through like 88, <laughs> 88 cop cars or something. I think they wrecked that, that Yeah. Yes, they did. Um, that was awesome. We had a, a uh, comment from Rob Peacher. He says, Good morning. Should Patrick not be wearing his badge? Yes. You gotta... <laughs> Rob wants to see, see your, uh, your authority here. Oh, uh, okay. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> one of the things that I was um, hoping we could chat about is terminology. Uh, lingo that maybe writers could use to sound make things sound more authentic in their stories. Do you have any recommendations for uh, maybe some terminology that, that it, we can use to be more accurate in our writing? Well, that's something you have to be a little bit careful of. Okay. If you say you are specifically writing a, a character in LAPD, mm-hmm. they might call something a little bit different than they will say in the Chicago PD. Okay. So if you say you want to have a fictitious department, you know, kind of like a Gotham City, you know, okay, or yeah. whatever, uh, Metro, yeah. Metro, Metro, yeah. or whatever, yeah. uh, I would model it after a specific department so you have consistency. Okay. And that's with, you know, terminology as well. You know, like in the Midwest, you know, it's, we call cops coppers. Hey, get that copper over here. Okay. You know, then um, when you come upon a shooting scene and you check the guy out that's shot, if he's pulseless, non-breathing, you go over there and yeah, he's P and B. Okay. Yeah. Or you know, or you know, you're riding along in your car, and all sergeants sergeants have to go to a multitude of different things and supervise the scenes. And one of the worst ones is a DOE, and that's dead on entry. You don't know What's how the entry fresh part stand for. On your Just, entry, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's, so we. Used to, I have. I have heard it say dead on arrival. Is that different? That's an arrival. That's the person arriving at the hospital dead. Is that uh, it'd be the same thing. It's okay. just 
it's just again how different agencies in different parts of the country say stuff. Mm, okay. um, yeah, so it's like okay, a DOE, and automatically I just start smelling it right away. You know, mm. it's it's in your head if you've ever been to a scene with a badly decomposing body that just oh, it just yeah. I can't describe the smell. It's incredible. So okay, DOE, um, GSW would be gunshot wound. Okay, you know. We, we talk in codes, mm. but again, I wouldn't go too crazy with that as a writer because you may be not using it correctly. Right, right. And, or it wouldn't fit the demographic that you're shooting for. Yeah, and you don't have to explain it to the reader. You don't want the reader to have to go right. look it up because it takes them out of the story. Uh, exactly. But you can maybe use things that are more commonly understood, I guess. Yeah. Um, one of the things, like when I... I'm in aviation, so when I watch aviation films, for example, there's always things that just drive me crazy because, like, maybe the guy's running along the runway and, like, jumps onto the landing gear and somehow climbs into the plane from the landing gear. And I'm like, that's impossible. There's no way that's... to get from the landing gear inside the plane. That doesn't work like that. It, it... No, no, I've seen Arnold Schwarzenegger do it <laughs> He came out of the plane that way, so it's got to yeah. be right. Yeah, no, it's, these kind of things drive me crazy. What are some things that drive you crazy that, that are just flat-out wrong, that shouldn't be in fiction, shouldn't be in movies, um, that, that you've seen writers do? Or... Almost all of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's almost all of it. Yeah. You know, my wife loves you know like SVU and all these other police dramas that are so far out in left field. You know, it's like okay, they track down a bad guy for you know he's a pedophile, he's this, he's that, yeah. and they're going to his apartment, and the SWAT team is there. They're going to execute a search warrant, and you have this lieutenant just wearing a raid jacket or maybe mm. a vest and she's pushing all these SWAT operators out of the way it's like I'll do this yeah. like no they would have her gone in half a second realistically the detectives are about a block away okay. until the scene is secured by the SWAT team yeah. that's their job they they're the ones who kick down the door well they have rams that'll ram the door mm-hmm. you know they might use flashbangs they might use tear gas they I mean there's a multitude of things. That's their world. That's what they train for. That's what they're good at. Yeah. You know, but then again, police officers in dynamic situations where you get the call of, you know, like I had one a week ago, you know, a woman screaming for help and then fire the sound of gunshots. We -hmm. get there and we hear a woman screaming, help, help, help. And then we didn't hear gunshots, but we had like four or five neighbors. Yeah. There's somebody shooting a gun inside there. And it's like, well, that door is going down. You know, we yeah. knock first, and then you know, down comes the door, and we have to do the job. Yeah. And it might be that way in more rural areas too. If you've got lone sheriff of this small town, they're not going to have a SWAT team, obviously. So they're going to have to probably take on more roles. Well, if they know that they have a warrant coming up, they will have a SWAT team, and they will do that by the numbers. Mm, interesting. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, safety is number one, and that's for everybody. Yeah. Um. For bad guy and good guy, you know, we want to do it right and we want to do it safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, other things that gets mishandled is rank. Again, uh, you see the captain questioning this prisoner, you know, and blah blah. That never happens. A detective or a police officer is the one who does the interrogation. It's not some captain or whatever. Or there's a crime scene and everybody's yeah. a sergeant. I was like, well, how, about, doing the- how about good cop, bad cop? That's probably one of the biggest tropes in, in crime fiction. You know, 
it can work, and I've used it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe not to the extreme that you'll see on TV or reading a book. You know, like my wife, again, <laughs> I'm beating up on my wife here, but <laughs> she loves Hawaii Five O, And, okay. you know, it, I love it because of the scenery. I like Hawaii. Yeah. You know, it's like, I like, you know, I live in the upper Midwest where it's cold and dreary and we only get sunshine like three months out of the year. And it's it's nice to see that, but it's so unrealistic. It's so just, you know, it, as far as uh, the ranks go, it's totally wrong. Interrogating somebody. They have some guy handcuffed with his hands behind his back, and they're literally beating the snot out of this guy, right, you know, yeah. like on camera. The only thing that would do for you as a cop is land you in jail mm-hmm. because most interrogations are recorded. Yeah. Well, almost all of them are audio and almost and a lot of them are audio and video. So whatever you're doing in that little room, you know, a jury of 12 is going to be looking at later on maybe. Yeah, because if you coerce a testimony out of someone, like or coerce a, a confession out of someone, obviously it's inadmissible, right? Absolutely. So, you know, yeah, and shoving crime. guns. Yeah, and shoving guns in the bad guy's mouth, who's handcuffed. You know, blah blah. blah. Yeah, that's not going to happen. You are going to go to jail. You're going to get fired. You know, you, really bad yeah. stuff is going to happen to you. Yeah, it just makes for interesting drama, I guess. Yeah, for, for all of our readers and viewers. Yeah. Um. Uh, can we talk just a little bit about uh, your relationship with dogs, uh, oh. canine? Because everyone loves loves the uh, the canine police officers. Um, talk a little bit about that. Do you, do you cover that in the books at all? Yeah, I do. One of the chapters is the different units within patrol, mm, and okay. you know, one is canine, and it all depends on the size of the department. Big city departments, you know, will have a contingency like the, the department I work for. We have about eighteen hundred officers. And we probably have about twenty canines, okay. which is pretty decent size. Yeah. Um, as far as canines go, you most of them are German Shepherds or Belgian uh, Malinois. Do, Those are like the patrol canines. Are they specialized in particular things they're looking for, or do, do most of them do kind of all like versus like drug sniffing versus bomb sniffing versus you know are they all separately trained? They're cross-trained. Okay. You know, there's some that our drug unit have that are specific. You know, they're just there. And, you know, we've had labs. We've had rescues, for, you know, a rescue pit bull. We've had, you name it, as long as they show an aptitude for mm. the training, okay. you know, they can be used for that. But for patrol, it's almost always a shepherd or a Malinois. And uh, they can also be cross-trained for, you know, drugs for um actually there was one dog he was my favorite dog his name was kenny and i swear to god that dog could talk i mean he was so smart he was just so intelligent and i was lucky because his handler was a cop on um my late shift and you know there's seven police districts where i work and a downtown like main building and when you go off to a specialty unit and you have free reign of the city, you kind of gravitate towards back to where you started. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you feel more comfortable there, I guess. Yeah. So she would come in the assembly and start typing up a report and her dog would be right next to her. Yeah. Okay. You know, the dog would come along. So yeah. of course everybody wanted to say hi to the dog, you know, <laughs> and, and it was funny because our Lieutenant was scared to death of German shepherds. Okay. He was just petrified, and he's like, "Get that dog out of here!" And she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, sir." You know, blah blah. blah. I'm like, 
no, Christina, what we're going to do is we're going to mess with him. That's what we're going to do. I said, if I give him a piece of paper, would can you tell him like to go into the lieutenant's office? She said, yeah, I could do that. So I gave him a police report. He had it in his mouth, and he started walking. The lieutenant's eyes got like this. He was like, ah! I, was like, what? I said, he just got done typing up a report. He just wants you to sign it. Come on. Yeah, yeah that's just, funny. So, yeah, they are uh, literally amazing. This dog, they found out, could sniff out guns and, am- guns and ammunition. Oh, wow. And they just found out by accident. Yeah. Because one of the officers had his gun in a filing cabinet because he had to go back and talk to a prisoner. And Kenny just started pawing at the filing cabinet. And they're like, what's that about? So I don't know if it's the smell of the gunpowder. or We never knew. But he knew but, that he had left his gun in there. Yep. Huh. Wow. I mean, yeah. So, yeah I mean, it's something like 30% of their brain is devoted to smell, so it doesn't surprise me. Oh, now, it's I, once, uh, I once saw a documentary about some bloodhounds that were tracking a, a kidnapped victim, and they were saying that they, they could smell molecules of scent on the side of the road from a car driving down the freeway with the victim in the trunk. That's how well they could smell. And they tracked, wow. they tracked to the exact exit that the person took. And I was wow. just, it blew me away, like what some of the capabilities of some of these dogs are. But. I was i was just reading uh, Caesar, one of Caesar Milan's books, and he was talking about how, you know, when a dog is born, you know, it's deaf and blind when they're mm. first born, mm-hmm. so their first sense is smell. Mm. And sense. he said it's like just hypersensitive. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, okay, that makes total sense. Yeah, if you're but, yeah, on it. Yeah. So that dog is your partner. Um, most of the time you'll have a take home squad. That you know the dog be you have the dog at your house. You're with the dog twenty four seven. Okay. And uh, usually they get these dogs from breeders who spe- specialize in you know like police um, dogs, and they get them when they're about a year, year and a half old. They don't get them as little puppies. Oh, interesting. And they okay. and they go. They've already been through like a little doggy boot camp. Okay. For uh, police work, so they already have a background in police work, you know, and some of just the real basic commands, et cetera, yeah. but a ton of training, lots of patience, lots of work, and some are better than others. We have a question from Rob. He says, through my previous career, I did a lot of, I did a ton of ride-alongs with police, but for those who haven't done that, what do you think of the TV show Live PD, which builds itself as America's ride-along as a way to learn a little bit about how police do their job? Are you familiar with that show? No, I'm not. I've never seen it, okay. so I really can't answer to that. Okay. Um, that is going to be a common question uh, for, obviously, viewers, viewers of the show, but one of the things that we can talk about that I know you are doing is you have started a Facebook group uh, mm-hmm. specifically for writers to interact with, with you and with other other officers. Can you tell people a little bit about Cops and Writers Facebook group and what you plan to yeah. do with it? I you know I wrote the book Cops and Writers and then I said well you know what I should start a Facebook group because I've been on other Facebook groups similar to what I have but you know I kind of wanted my own little landing spot yeah my own brand as a writer you know a nonfiction writer um, so I just started it but there's also um, a few more groups out there that I think your uh, viewers would benefit from. Okay. One is called the Writers Detective Bureau. Oh, cool! And that is uh, B. Adam Richards. He is a detective out in California, 
and he has a weekly podcast also. Oh, great. That I think would be beneficial. Jennifer Servino has a Facebook group called Legal Fiction. Hmm. Yeah. And that that goes deep into the weeds of um, she's a public defender. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and there's um, also DAs that are in that group. So if you want to go deep into the, the legal side, court side, right? That would that's very good. And there's one more group that's really beneficial. It's called Trauma Fiction. Oh, that's another Facebook group. So if you're writing, and it doesn't even have to be police related, you know. It, my character got shot three times and there's like you said there's lots of medical professionals that are in that facebook group that can help out Mm -hmm. yeah so so many of these departments are interrelated obviously your fire and the police and the the medical and the legal are all intimately tied to each other Um, right because any one of these incidents could involve any or all of them right and it's just nice to have a, a little bit of a landing page and interacting with the people who are buying your book or using your services, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, I will um, go over an entire manuscript, and I've done that for people. But you know, I don't have a lot of time. I work full time, well, more than full time. Yeah. You know, family life, etc., and trying to do this author thing on top of it. Yeah. To do that, you know, I have to charge something. Right. It's yeah. not an certain amount of money, but just simple questions. I'm more than happy to answer them. And if I'm not answering, there's other cops that are in there that are doing it for for me. Yeah. So that, that's fantastic. So and it's nice to know that you do do some consulting, um, like paid consulting for people who are, you know, really want to spend some time with you. If maybe they've got a, a distinct police character or you know, have a lot of questions. I think that's great that you offer that service. Um, and then also you have copsandwriters.com, which is uh, your new website, which is which I think is great. Um, what's the best place if people are like we're kind of wrapping up towards the end of the, uh, the show here anyway so uh, where's the best place if the, people want to reach out to you um, and connect with you directly where do you recommend they, they reach out first well they could they could go to the website copsandwriters.com there's no spaces between the cops and writers it's all okay. one yeah. um, email me sarge at copsandwriters.com okay. then of course the Facebook group cops and writers yeah. um, I'm, I'm lurking about there every day so you can message me, whatever. You can email me. I don't care. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Like I said, I think this is a wonderful resource that you're providing to to writers. Um, I'm excited to to learn more about it. Um, I have a sneak preview of the manuscript, and I've already enjoyed what I've read so far. So uh, I think, like I said, I think, think the cover is fantastic. For those of you listening to the podcast, uh, I definitely recommend checking out this book when it comes out. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think really useful. And of course, like I said, you've got more more coming, right? When when is uh What's your release schedule like? I'm hoping to have the other book released in three, maybe four months. You know, somewhere in that ballpark, and that'll be more of the uh, nuts and bolts of investigations, interrogations, you know, crime scene stuff. More of that. I will. I will be at Twenty Books Vegas this year, and I believe on Thursday I have one of the rooms for an hour. Okay. And uh, myself, and I believe uh, Adam Richards from Detective Bureau, the Writers Detective Bureau, will be there, and I'm hoping Jennifer Serena will be there, so we could answer pretty much about any kind of question writers yeah. will have. That's fantastic. Where do people? Where do you recommend people get their hands on uh, cops and writers? Um, Amazon for now. Okay. Um, I believe I'll go. Kate, you know, I don't think I'm going to go wide right away, but eventually I will. But for now, I'm just going to stick with um, Amazon. 
and eventually I'll sell the paperback wide and through my uh, website. Okay. And is it on pre-order right now? Yes, it is on okay. pre-order. So people you can, can pick up their copies now. Yes, they can uh, pick up a copy now. And, oh, and I'll also be at Nink this year, oh, lurking about. So yeah, yeah. hopefully uh, we I could buy you a beer. Uh, I'll, I'll buy you one, one right back. We'll have a couple. Uh, That'll be good. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'll look forward to seeing you there for sure. So, um, Patrick, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I really appreciate you you being here for us, and I look forward to chatting with you again uh, sometime very soon. Thank you, Nathan. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. And thank you, everyone, for listening and for watching. If you have more questions for Patrick, feel free to throw them out in the comments. Uh, or reach out to him directly on uh, copsandwriters.com. And we'll see you back here again next week for another great interview. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.